Hi guys, welcome to the Man Cave 4301 podcast. Just so you know, you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and also on Patreon. Your Patreon contribution will help to make this podcast and indeed the Man Cave 4301 brand thrive and strive to bring you better content each and every time. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash the Man Cave 4301 where you have three different tiers of subscription. Three, five, or ten dollars per month. Now let's get into the podcast. Hi, my name's Kai, and welcome to the Man Cave 4301 podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Man Cave 4301 podcast. I'm sitting here with Kai Tag, a former Navy Able Seaman Marine Tech. Starting his journey in 1996 to 2000. Kai, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, Ellis, mate. How you going? Not too bad. Thank you very much. All right. So let's start off with the very beginning. Why did you want to join the Navy? Oh, basically, my dad's side of my family is pretty much all military, like going back to like World War One. So, um, we're on Welsh, like we came out in 1988 from Cardiff and Wales. And um, my old man is an ex submariner from Royal Navy, so like I always looked up to my dad. Um, my uncle is like ex paratrooper, ex British SAS. So it was always like a family thing. And when I left school, I got given the old school choice because that's a generation where it was like get a job or I was joining the, the Navy. So and I actually wanted to, so I joined up. Took me about three times to get into. wasn't as easy as I thought. So yeah. <laughs> do you, Do you think it was uh, partly that you wanted to follow a family legacy sort of thing? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, like all I grew up with all my dad's stories, man. Like, you know, my dad's been oh Africa. You know, like you know. I can't remember a lot of the places he's been, man. A lot of the places we didn't even know where he went because he wasn't allowed to say, you know, that's that was the submariner life. So yep. part of my childhood, like dad was away, you know, they go away on mat on six month, twelve month deployments. So so yeah. Yeah. That was um something that was something I always looked to. When I joined the Navy, I actually joined up to be um submariner. Yep. So specifically. Specifically submariner, yeah. So that was when they still had the old um the the old Oberon submarines. So before they swapped over, while I was in, they swapped over to the new Collins class submarines. So there was, um, yeah, they were a lot different. Yep. So obviously, like Oberons were diesel, the new Collins class were diesel electric. So you, you kind of needed two trades on that. Okay. Like, um, so yeah, but that was that. That was my original intention was to basically yeah, like follow, like make my dad proud and. Yep. Some my family, and then get in, and then hopefully at that point you go through training, and then get on submarines at some point. So, and maybe even the travel around the world stuff was a bit more a, a bit of an incentive as well, I suppose. So, oh, like yeah, like the I mean, like all the stuff like um that you saw on TV was always a good incentive and stuff, man. I mean, I was already probably going to join anyway. So, but you know the you know going out around the world, you know traveling you know it looks so good and you know that's that's kind of like what I, appealed to me being single and you know i was only about 17 when i joined so yep 
so yeah, that was that was something that that I wanted to do. So, but the main part, like I said, my incentive was mainly like uh, it was a family thing. So, yeah. so yeah. Where best do you go to sign up? So it used to be in I think it was Perry Street in Adelaide, where where I am, and you just go in there. They they just ask you a few questions why you want to join, you know, things like that. But you can pretty much anyone can sign up if you know without. There's some exceptions, obviously medical things that they that they would that they find out about and stuff. But once they've got you in there, you just do a lot of testing over a few months. So they do like dexterity testing, you know, cognitive testing, psychological light review. Um, once you've passed that in, um, you need to also have a little bit of no, a little bit of knowledge of the background. Um, and I said it took me three goes to get in. Um, just so everyone knows, man, like, you know, not everyone is good at specific things, man, but if you try hard enough, I guess, you know, you you, you know, you can achieve good things. I was shit at maths at school on a really bad level. <laughs> so, <laughs> on the same uh, way. <laughs> yeah, uh, even to the point that I was such a pain in the ass at school, man, like, because, like, just segueing, but, like, I've got, like, ADHD, yeah, since I was seven. I'm 41 now, and I still pretty much got that, but... At school, I was a little shit, man. Not just naughty, yeah. not like violent or anything like that, man. Just disruptive. So when I got in, I actually went back to my high school on one of my first leaves that I had once I'd passed out, and I got my my training all done and apologised to some of my teachers. Like, oh wow! <laughs> so one of my math teachers, one of my math teachers actually came up to me, man, and I've never heard a teacher swear at that point, so I was a bit taken aback, but. He actually can't be my math teacher, and he goes, "Oh, so I heard you got in as a, a marine engineer in the navy." And I was like, "Yeah." And he just and, and like you let us swear on your podcast. Go for it, man. Oh yeah, yeah. So he just said to me, "Like, how the fuck did you get into that, man? Like, because you're so shit at math." And I explained it to him, man. So what happened with me was I finished I finished high school, man. Math, obviously, I, I'd never really passed math, you know, like at all, like through high school. Um, I ended up before I joined. Um, I didn't get in the first go because my maths was crap. Um, when I applied for the navy, I failed the maths part. Um, you're allowed to reapply. I think after six months. So I got a tutor, and I had a tutor taught me for what four years of high school and probably a bit of primary school. He taught me in six months everything wow. from adding up to algebra. So, because there's no way, I mean, engineering, the part of the course that we'll talk about later on, you know, you're talking about engineering, you know, talking about yeah. equations, algebra, you know, you know, Pythagoras, Pi, uh, you know, that sort of stop stuff. It. I had no, I had no, I had no stop idea, it. man. Math, math didn't appeal <laughs> yeah. to me, man. You know, I was good at the science, the English, but math, I just could yeah. not grasp the concept. You lost so, me in maths. <laughs> yeah, man. So so when I so when I so that was the that was the first time they said you have to come back because you're shit at maths basically right Fair so enough. I I came back again right I did all my stuff I'd done my tutor stuff I got I was did great at the maths I passed in we went in for an interview where it's kind of like the final bit where you talk to someone and they basically ask you specific stuff and what caught me out was the bloke pointed to a picture on the wall of one of the warships. I can't remember which one it was now, man. It might have even been one of the old destroyers because they still had HMAS Perth, Hobart, and Brisbane um, around when I was in before they got rid of them. Yeah, so that okay. was kind of a nice nice thing being in when I was in because they still had their destroyers. 
So, um, but I didn't know what the hell it was, dude. And I said to him, I don't know. So that was the reason why they turned me down that time. Yeah. And I was devo. And I got to the point where I was like, man, I'm not doing this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm too sick to get in probably. And luckily when my dad had been speaking to one of the receptionists, they just said, look, you know, some people, they were like, you know, I guess test out, see how much you want the job. Yeah. So, because that's the only reason I came back for the third time, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, man, there's a year and a half to get in, dude. I didn't just walk straight in the door. So, like, they don't make it that easy, I guess. When they need people, I guess sometimes it's a bit easier to get in. But when they're full, yeah, you know, they can pick they can pick the cream of the crop, which is fair. You know, I don't yeah. have a problem. Well, if it's any consolation, mate, it took me three days to get my license. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. no, it's no navy contract, but hey, <laughs> same you page, same page. Like, like, <laughs> like prepping, like prepping Ellis, man. Like you know, you can only prepare so much for some things. You know what I mean? Like whatever. And that that like part was. I just hadn't learned enough about the background of the Navy like okay. to be considered at that point. But the third time I went in, man, like I got in and I got accepted, man. So that was that's the end of the – that's how you basically join up. Awesome. So so from uh, there, whereabouts do they send you? So from from there, um, within a few months, they give you the, your details of where you're going and what sort of things you need to bring, and you get um, flown over to HMA Cerberus in um, – Potts Point, I think Crib Point, yeah, just, just near Frankston on the coast okay. of um, Victoria, Victoria. So, so and yeah, and that's a training, that's a training facility. So that's a lot different to a lot of other bases. It, so it's HMA Cerberus. So yeah, it's, it's a training facility is a lot different to a lot other bases in regards to what you're allowed to do and. Um, Obviously, like, because they've got other people there, they're trying to put an impression on, like, recruits. Everything is to be done at a certain level, so it's really, um, really what's the word? Hot. It's a high-strung environment there, man, compared to an average base, put it that way. Okay. So not many people like going back there after they finish, dude. <laughs> 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 I'm not kidding. And how long, so, how long yeah. are you there for? Um, what is it, man? It's about, uh, when, we, when I was in, it was 12 weeks. Okay. Like I said to you, I think they cut it down to eight now. But when we were in, it was about yeah, twelve weeks, four months in recruit school, and then roughly about eighty months of your technical training of what you'd picked, which I'd picked to be a marine tech. So, yep. um, like I said, depending on what you pick, some courses are sure and others, man. Most of the stuff like electronic technicians um, and the, the mechanical stuff, like the marine tech stuff, was about eighteen months. So. Okay. Avionics, avionics, man, which is which was something that you know, which is probably one of the hardest courses. That's the ones that go out to places like Nara and maybe Wagga Wagga and actually do all the repairs on the helos and stuff. Yep. That course is one of the hardest courses in the Navy, and if you pick that one, that one is uh, a bit longer. I'm not sure, man. Maybe two, three years. Oh wow. Okay. Well, because you know you're dealing with aircraft, man. Yeah. So it's obviously a lot different to like ships. Can only sink, but most of them MPs wouldn't have caused that. <laughs> Where if a helicopter falls out of the sky, man, the first person they're going to look at is the mechanic. Yeah. So yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, but, from your training, whereabouts do they send you after that? Do you get on a boat? 
So you do your 80 months of training at Cerberus and that, man, and once you've, you've like basically like graduated like from that and stuff, there's a, kind of like maybe a little interim period, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks, couple of months where you sit around and they work out where you want to get posted after what you've picked because they kind of give you a preference. Yep. Um, I picked WA, man. I'm not sure if it was Garden Island because I know there's a Garden Island based in WA, but then there's also one in Sydney. That's where I actually got posted. So I ended up getting sent to Sydney after I left service, man, and that was hilarious, kind of annoying because I didn't actually. That was not. That wasn't even one of my preferences, dude. I had three. Oh. So, so the first night, just to give your listeners a laugh, so the first night we get we get flown into Sydney. I think it's around about ten o'clock at night, nine o'clock maybe we got in, and yeah, and yeah, we touched down. We got shipped out to HMS Cuttable, and the first thing that that took us all the back, man, especially the country people on there, man, because they're pretty sheltered, those poor, poor blokes, right, <laughs> was that the Navy base, HMAS Cuttable, which is where we were posted, right, um, is about 100, 200 metres from King's Cross, right? Uh, so it was like, why would you put a Navy base in the middle of, like, King's Cross? <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Which, I, I, don't know <laughs> I don't know which one was built first, man. I never looked into that, right? But the first night, man, like, because you'd heard all the rumours, everyone – Back in, like I said, the late 90s, you know, King's Cross had a really bad reputation, dude. You know what I mean? Doesn't it still? I don't know, man, because, like, the night that we were there, we were all like, let's, you know, let's, let's not go out to King's Cross and, like, that means pussies, you know, go out, let's go out and have a look. So a group of about 10 of us, Navy blokes, you know, just went out to King's Cross, man, and it was just kind of like every person that had a kind of similar street from their hometown went, this is like Hiney Street in Adelaide, you know, for me. Mm. Yeah. You know, bit rougher but yeah we never never had any issues man never yeah, got okay. into fights or you know bourbon and beef steak you know we'd go there maybe the pink pussy cat you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you gotta dabble you gotta stick your toes in the water don't you oh sorry dude, dude I, I, I i'll tell you this straight now man being a sailor because i know we've got a bad rep but no i yeah. didn't have a Let's make it worse. Every port. Yeah, <laughs> I've never ever paid for a prostitute dude yeah it's the oldest profession in the world i know that man yeah. i don't have any views towards that, but I personally have never paid for that. And when you're in Sydney, one of the first things if you don't kind of, you're not into that thing that you learn is if you go into one of the strip clubs with your mates, because I don't really care about going to see boobies or not, man, I'm not that way inclined. Like I just went there because that's where my mates went. Yeah. If you sat on the, if you'd go in and you'd sit and have a stage, right, and you have your seats lined up, you'd sit on the end, man, you'll only make the mistake once, right, because during the night you'd have like, you know, your ladies of the night <laughs> like sitting on your lap right telling you in your ear while you know you're sitting there watching the strippers and you know like um what they do for what sort of money you are and i would just kind of freak i was 17 man i'm not freaking out you know, i didn't i didn't even drink i didn't drink till i joined the navy man so i'm like all innocent man and i'm like what the hell man so i learned from that point if we did go there that i would try and get like four seats down into the thing so that i wasn't all Poor bugger on the end getting pinged by a, I think they called them Hueys in the Navy. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, right. But, so, so you but, made... But it, but, it, but, it, but it wasn't as bad as, as you thought it was King's Cross, man. So, yeah. But, yeah, we spent the first night at Cuttable, and then the next day they ran us through, like, all the things that we were going to do. So, and I, I was posted to HMS Cuttable, but my actual posting and where I worked was at um, Garden Island, uh, FEMA and FEMA stands for 
uh, fleet intermediate maintenance activity. So it's one of the main ports where all the ships come back in to get like repairs done. Like okay. they've got a dry dry dock there and stuff like that. So yep. and the irony being in the navy, right? The funny part is, right? You learn two things, man. Just as a joke, you know, it's like the port, you know, on race day and you know, holding holes, oil leaks, dents, and engine noises. You know, but yeah. So so we found out the acronym for navy is never again volunteer yourself. <laughs> and the acronym for FEMA, which is supposed to be Fleet Intermediate Maintenance Activity, because you'd get shafted a fair bit there with jobs, right? It actually worked out funny that FEMA could actually stand for a fist in my ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. and I, I, didn't, I didn't make that up. That was written on the toilet door in one of the engineers. <laughs> of course. So I'm just saying, man, like, that's not me that started that rumor. Like, <laughs> but... No, it's a good job, man. So, so yeah. you're in Sydney and you're, you're you're at work. So how long are you in Sydney for? I before I was before I got out, I was in Sydney for ah uh, maybe two and a half years, man. Okay. So so yeah, like like I said, my story is a, a bit different, man, because I, even like I, I'm happy to mention this at the moment because any armed services people that are listening. Or, I mean, anyone in general that's got problems with their mental health, man, go and talk to someone. Like, I was always one of those people that was brought up, don't talk about anything, don't cry, you lock all your feelings away, man, and it has done me absolutely no favours, man. Yeah. Right? So I just wanted to say that to your listeners and stuff, man. But um, Appreciate that. Yeah, so anyway, I lost track of what I was saying, man. Like, so, you, but, yeah, so you're in Sydney, you're, you're there for two and a half years, yeah. you said? Sorry, but yeah. So, so my, what was, was um, my my story being a bit different, right? Is that I never got posted to sea, so I was ashamed of that, which caused a lot of my depression. That's why I led me on to talking about getting in contact with someone because I'm not a a, um, a psychiatrist now through the Jamie Larkham Center through TVA. So, and one of the things that he told me is, man, is to not be ashamed of things. You take things on yourself, Ellis, like you'd know, and you're ashamed of certain things that. There's no reason to be. I didn't get posted to see, man. When I got out, I was Debo. When people asked me where I'd been, I had nowhere to tell them I went. So people look at you like there's something wrong with you, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that caused a lot of problems for me, dude. And um, I could never really get a straight answer out of the Navy why I never got posted to see. But we can get into that later, man. But okay. I just wanted to let your listeners know that I never went anywhere to tell you all these fascinating stories about what it's like around the world. Yeah. I can tell you about Victoria and Sydney. Well, I think the, <laughs> one of the uh, an important thing to bring up as well is that not everyone went to combat, but they still had an integral role to play in the in the in the military. Like there's it's yeah. not like your job wasn't as important as someone that went and fought somewhere. You still had, uh, we still needed someone to do a certain job, and you were the one that did it. So, um, yeah, it, it's not like uh, we, no, I appreciate you that, should man. be looked down on at all. I mean, you still contributed uh, considerably to our armed forces. So, for that, yeah, you should still be thanked. Yeah, no, like I said, man, it was it was, it was more the like that's like I said to you. I'm at the DVA. Um, uh, center at the moment, man, because like to talk about a lot of the things that you know from back when I got out in 2000, June, I think it was. I've never discussed anything and I've left it all this time, man. You know, like you know, you know, nearly 20 
to talk about it, which, like I said, has not helped me. And, you know, the things that we're discussing now is like what you're talking about, about not being ashamed and that you did do a job and one person is not, wor- you know, wor- necessarily more worse off than someone else. Yeah. Yep. I always thought by being at the DBA, man, I'm, I've got all my arms, mate, all my legs, just my head's not right. I always thought I was taking the place of a soldier that had come back that didn't have a leg or something, and that made me really upset, dude. Yeah. And they were like, "Does it? Does it? They told me categorically, it does not work that way, mate. All right, you need to get that out of your head. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, everyone gets help. So, so you're right. You know, you are right, man, with that. What you said. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I don't have all no, the answers, no. but um, and I think that uh, the fact that we. Uh, are making a conservative effort to break that stigma that talking is weak um, is a really good step in the future. So, um, yeah, hats off to you for admitting that you have uh, found help and uh, and then you're on your way to recovering from depression. Or I don't think anyone really recovers fully from depression, but there are definitely tools out there to make it uh, more bearable, I'd say, maybe. I'm not too sure. Like, I mean, I've been through stuff myself and um, I've been in a pretty dark place myself at some stage in life mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that'll come out in a podcast somewhere. But, uh, well, I know what it's like to be in a really dark, dark place. So, and uh, I sort of bottled it up as well. I I know what I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. <clears throat> No, it is hard, man. Like, I mean, I mean, you can bring me back on subject whenever. But one of the one of the big things that was an issue at the time when I was in right was that um, if you had depression or any mental problems in the defence force, man, one of the things that wasn't good what they were doing, and hopefully they're going to change it or they have changed it. I'm not sure. Is that if you went to your, if you went to your your doctor, say in the navy, and told them you had mental problems, whatever depression. You pretty much would get a medical discharge, man, most of the time. They didn't have any time for people like that, which then stopped other people that found out about that from going and talking about it. That's right. And um, not long after I got in, man, they brought in some new changes where they were making it, you know, depression and stuff, man, it was becoming more, I'm not going to say socially acceptable, man. It was becoming, people become more aware of what it was to be less hurtful to people. Right. So the Navy try to be nice about it and say, if you have got problems with anything to do with depression, mental health, blah, blah, come and talk to us and we'll give you help. So people thought, we'll actually get help. And then they were medically discharging people again. So I'm I'm hoping they've changed that now. But there was always a stigma attached to it. And that's why now it's been a lot easier for me and, you know, hopefully maybe even you to talk about it because it's not such a thing that is hidden away. Yeah, well, look, even as a so, civilian myself, you know, I, I see there's a problem there and I just feel compelled to help in some way. And if this platform helps uh, save a life, then my, my job's, you know, on a, on a good path. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I totally get it, man. Well, it, well it, might not, it might not be relevant to all people and stuff, man, but I can tell you, man, from reading some things like just say like on Facebook, whatever, man, There'll always be every couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks, there'll be a story pop up, man, that's from someone that has, you know, opened up on one of the, the brothers' pages, man, that does, that I have gone through, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. So, like, there are people that can relate, and that's why, you know what I mean, other than not talking about any of this stuff because of a certain reason or, you know what I mean, there there are people that will, will relate to it, do you know what I mean? And if people can't relate to it, maybe in a point in their future where they are, they might remember it and actually have the info. I mean, that's like prepping. You know, knowledge is kind of something that is always useful. Yeah, you know, whether it's now. Now, now, or, now or later, you know what I mean? Like, it's always been something that I've, yeah. I've kind of held dearly, but, yeah, always good to talk about stuff, man, like. Yeah, yeah. You know, there will, it's there are it's people. time. I think it's time for everyone just to uh, – to vent and and let it out. Like uh, the, the another thing in this podcast is the, the, the people that I want to interview, uh, veterans or people in the emergency services community that have come out and seen there's a problem and then started these charities and whatnot, so that there is a disconnect between employee and employer, so that they can mm-hmm. still work and then tell their problems to someone that's not involved in their work and risk, you know. Like an independent, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that they can can have the best of both worlds. They can be employed and they can be getting the help that they need, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's important. Yeah, definitely, yep. And it's something that we need to, um, to push and that's why I'm doing the podcast. So... Um, you're in Sydney. What can you run us through? Sort of a um, a typical day. Just uh, what you get up to is everything's different, I suppose. But you work. What are you working on? Yeah. So, um, so a lot of us live. I mean, you could live on base, man. A lot of us chose to live off base, and um, we had subsidised accommodation. So I lived with a few mates in an apartment at South Coogee. So we got a coach to work the other day. The Navy picked us up from the, I think it was yeah from the apartments, and then took us to work. About started about eight thirty. Um, I worked in uh, pressure and temperature, like calibration, yep. like calibration cell. So I was a two IC there, and um, we our average day was um, it all depend on on what was in at the time. Um, for example, there'd be times where, say, they had a rim pack, like when they have one of the rim pack exercises where they have little um, war games with, like, um, the US and stuff like that, I think, over near Hawaii. So is, is um, rim pack a, uh, a abbreviation? Yeah, I'm not sure what it stands for, like... Um, oh, that's all right. <clears throat> we, can, we can find I'm, it I'm like, maybe it's, maybe it's something to do with the Pacific. <laughs> because it's like rim pack and it's near Hawaii, I'm like I'm just yeah, I'm guessing. All right, but like, <laughs> we'll just spitball but, it. <laughs> but when they were but, but but when they were out, there was like there was like that was like our downtime, mate. Like where we just fixed like bits around the base, I guess. Like you know, if we had to, you know, oh dude, I don't know what stories I tell you to get myself in trouble, man. But if people that were outside that knew how lazy some people are, I can't talk about all the armed forces and only specifically where I worked, but. Oh. I'll tell you some crack up stories, man, about what we did and people sleeping in cupboards and hiding and shit and <laughs> like <laughs> and then the ships would come back and you'd be run off your feet, dude. Like so, you know, there was one day where I started at eight thirty and I was still there at about one o'clock in the morning because they were trying to get something back on a ship that needed to go out straight away. This is the type of job you do where I, I like this was um 
they had a uh, heat exchanger that was leaking, had to go back it in straight away, so it needed to be fixed that day. Um, they welded it, we tested it, it leaked. We circled the well, the leak, they welded it again, <laughs> can leaked again. <laughs> this went on, this went on, man. I don't know, how, I don't know, don't ask me what happened. But about one o'clock in the morning, we finally finished it, man. It held pressure. We sent it back over the ship so they could get back on the way and that. And we got to go home. And in the Navy, there's no overtime boating, <laughs> right? Uh, That's, you just do it. So, yeah, there's no, hey, come back in at 10 tomorrow because you work so late. <laughs> like, they're like, nah, see you at 30, buddy. Like, you know? So, but, you know, that didn't annoy me. That's part of the job, man. So, you know, but, you know, a normal working day, just on average, was like um, we would test the gauges that we had in specific equipment, like, you know, gauges for everything from fuel pumps, gearboxes, temperature, you know, you know that sort of thing. Yep. Um, most of the time the ship's crew would refit them. They would bring them over and then we would just exchange, like, you know, tubs at a time. They would take them back, refit them, bring more over. Once you'd done that, man, we would actually go over the ship's men and help out, like, crew. So, I mean, I can't remember what I planned, but I would have been on most of the ships that came into Sydney to do repairs on everything from, uh, like, air comp- like, you know, massive air compressors to the auxiliary diesel engines, working on the gas turbines. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating, man, like I've talked to you about before. You know, the gas turbine on yeah. the on the frigates, on the FFGs, the, the Anzac class, they have uh, a gas turbine engine, which is different to, the like, you know, even the old destroyers, which are basically like diesel steam. Yeah, wow. And um, these things basically have got a giant turbo for the younger generation in the middle of the ship. So for us oldies, it's a gas turbine. It's basically a plane, one of, you know, 747 engine <laughs> inside a, the ship wow. connected to a, sh- a, a drive shaft. And offhand, man, like, I think it's about 25,000 shaft horsepower at like 3,000 RPM or something, man. It's like insane. But fixing that thing, man, it's like going into a surgical room in a spaceship. Like, it's just, yeah. Sterile. Pretty, I was humbled they let me fix that, dude. Apparently, you know, being such an idiot. <laughs> like, so that was, that <laughs> was kind of nice. Took me three times to get in. You sure you want me to go in yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, oh, where's this go? Like, ah. Oh. <laughs> right, but yeah, no, 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 it's pretty humbling, man. Like I said, you know, the, the stuff you're repairing, man, isn't a car engine. You know, these things are like millions and millions of dollars, man. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you m- m- mess up, man, you know, you can destroy stuff. Yep. So, although I think one of the, the rules they had in the Navy was when we went through recruit school and they had the police cops and come in telling us all the stuff you can get charged with, you do this, you get charged with this, you know, just scaring the shit out of you. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, one of the things they said was if we, if we break something, there's a rule in the Navy called, a, like, I don't know, a section something or some regulation where they can actually dock your pay for shit you broke. Oh, what? <laughs> so if you want to break a gas turbine and get your pay docked, yeah, go ahead, you, re- you know, remember that gas turbine <laughs> that you chucked a spanner through? <laughs> yeah, you're not they getting paid ever again, but you're working. <laughs> oh, is it, if there's one thing, keep people... Any of you people listening that want to join up to the defences, I'll give you a heads up now, man. One thing is, right, they will do anything to make you do what you're told, right, and (laughs) to be disciplined and to do your job properly most of the time, right? So that's one of the things you need to take into account. If if you have a massive discipline problem, I mean, I did, because of my ADHD, the defence force worked for me because it gives me structure, discipline and routine. Yep. But if you're just an average shit and that man, like, don't join the defence force. 
because like you know they will I mean, I don't know if they do it now, but back then, if you were like a pain in the ass, they would make you a live pill, mate. Yep. Like, <laughs> iron, run around, run around. A, if you want to run around a quadrangle at two o'clock in the morning with your ironing board above your head, man, because you're mouthy, <laughs> find out. Did you ever do that? No, I was part of the people, man. One of the things they do in the defense force, which is called bastardization now, right? Which is what they change, right? Is some people go too far, mate. I understand why they have to have rules and that, man. But the idea of the bullying and bastardization in the defense force when I was in there, because I never liked bullies, dude. I never got beat up at school, man. I, bullies knew where I stood. Yep. I just smack them, all right? That was just how I was brought up, right? So I never looked at it as bully, man. I looked at it as more of the old school thing of separating the wheat from the chaff. Character building. They want people in there like, you know, the army wants soldiers not people that are going to, like, run and cow. I mean, I don't have anything against people like that, man, because you, until you're there, you don't even know what you're dealing with. But they want people that have got, yeah, like you said, a stronger character, less breakable, Yeah, you know, thick-skinned. Yeah, we don't so, want you um, breaking in the field. If we break yeah. you now, you won't break in the field. So we got our face yelled at. You know, they yell in your face and stuff, man, you know, for shit. You know, if one person did something <laughs> wrong, everyone got in trouble. You got you know, your if, face yelled at. <laughs> well, the things that you are talking about, like you were asking before, right, was... Um, if we were, we, you had to have your beds made, and I was only on Facebook the other day because I'm on a, a ex Stoker's page on on Facebook, and I was writing a story that people were, a couple of people were laughing at, and it was about how you used to sleep under our beds in recruits at school, so we didn't have to make our bed in the morning. Oh and, my and god! If, and if you, and if you get caught, man, you get into trouble because it's cheating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, because when you wake up in the morning, you've got a specific time. Everything in recruit school is timing. Yeah, that's how they teach you to be on time. Yep. You know what I mean? So, everything has to be done at a certain time. If they say five minutes, you do it in five minutes, man, or they'll yell at you and shit. So, we make, we make our beds. If one person, right, everyone does their beds in pairs, their bunks. You help your mate. So, if one person doesn't do their bed, and in our bunk room in recruit school, I think there was either six or eight people, like four or uh, four, three or four bunk beds. Anyway, if one person out of those whole lot didn't make their bed properly, whoever was doing it, if they were like an asshole, right, they would tip everyone's mattress like upside down and make you do it all oh, again. Oh man! And throw throw your doona and shit out the windows. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> they probably I don't know if they do that now, but it was funny. But one night, some some idiot got in trouble. And what, how they do it is they got us outside in the quadrangle, man, at like one or two o'clock in the morning, man, like woke us up because someone must have been stuffing around. They sat the dude that had caused the problem on a chair in the middle of the quadrangle, right? We all had to get our PT uniform on. So it's Melbourne on the coast in winter, and we have to put on these little blue shorts, a white singlet, our black socks, and our Dunlop volleys, right? And we have to go out to the quadrangle, right? So it's... We weren't happy. So there's this kid sitting on the chair, and they're like, told us to bring our ironing boards down. So there's like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60 people. I don't know how many there is. And the, the bloke's telling us, you're going to run around the quadrangle for, I don't know how many laps, five, ten laps, right, with our ironing boards above our heads. So that's what we had to do, man. Off you go. So everyone starts running around, man. So one bloke causes all these problems, and then there's like, and everyone else other paid blokes. for it but him. Yeah. And and I, I never grasped that concept, obviously, then. It was only, obviously, as I got older. But what they were doing was basically, like, it, 
as people were running around, they were looking at the dude and they were going, telling him like all this stuff. I, probably, I won't repeat it on your show, but it involved lots of C and F words, right? Imagine. So, so basically, he never he 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 got. I'm not to say what happened, man, because I don't get in trouble and stuff, right? But he got like, um, what's the word? Like disciplined by the lad. Yep. Right. That's the idea. Instead of them having to tell every single person off, man, they just single out one and then make everyone else do it for them. That's how it works kind of in the defence wars, which is what they were trying to stop because it's class as bastardisation. I don't think it is, but do you know what I mean? That's, do you, do you in think the, in the, instead of bastardisation, <laughs> it was, it was it's uh, making them realise that they had to do better? In every armed forces, man, Everyone keeps their head at the same level, man. That's the whole thing about. I think there's, isn't there, like a like one of those quotes about keeping your head down. You know, don't pop, don't pop your head up, kind of thing. That's what the defense force wants. Everyone to be the same, man. If you want to pop your head up, and regimented. you know, they'll, yeah, yeah, regimented exactly. Mm. So, and I've never had issues with that. I, I mean, I'm, ha- I'm happily to say, like, I mean, I'm not happily, but I'm on, I'm. Honest with what I say, I mean, I didn't, I never got in any trouble in the navy until my last year before I got out. So I always respected the discipline and the rules they set. I mean, I didn't agree with some things, you know, they were stupid and yeah. you know, but most most of the rules they set in there, man, were for a specific reason. So, so like, don't piss off, the, like, don't piss off the front of ships in port. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, 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 man. There was a bloke peed on one of the supply lines and they actually showed us a photo. And we never knew if it was real or not, man, but when someone shows you a picture of a crispy body because they peed off the side of a ship onto an exposed 450-volt supply line, oh. you don't kind of you don't question whether it's real or not, man. I, whether they were just didn't want people to be dirty Navy sailors and pee off the side of the ship for people to watch them doing it. <laughs> that was how they told us. That was how they explained it to us, man, why you don't pee over the side holy moly i know dude so guess what navy sailors would do go pee on the other side that didn't have any any land (laughs) talk about learning wow he won't do that again (laughs) he won't do it again nah so like i said man like it, it, it was especially on the older ships dude like you know i had a lot of respect for the older sailors man on the old ddgs and stuff because they were dangerous ships dude like especially as they got older you know yeah, like yeah that's why they, of course that's back why they then were, safety what, wasn't they, the biggest issue right <laughs> yeah always mess in the navy you're funny yeah <laughs> I don't know, work out work out safety it's probably big now but you have to understand man when i was joined i was lucky enough that it was kind of still the older navy coming into the newer navy where no one like that in yeah. the old part yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, you know what? I'll tell you a funny one, man, because you know people are gonna laugh at this, right? So, you know, if you're gonna say which of the people that you think would swear the most in the armed forces, most people would say like swearing like a sailor. Yeah. Right. So they try to ban swearing in the navy. Oh. They brought in a what? thing. They brought in good working relations. So they weren't allowed to swear or bully or bastardize people, man. So yeah, it's hilarious, man. So no like, swearing people, in the navy. Yeah, no swearing. Yeah. No swearing. Well, did they actually enforce that? <laughs> What? Did it work? I got in trouble in recruit school, man. The only time I got in trouble in recruit school was people used to do shit to each other on march down and you're supposed to take it seriously. Like, they'd kick the back of your... I mean, yeah, I did it too, man. Sorry, I'll admit that. All right. 
But you do things like when you're marching, you've got your arms going backwards. Someone would grab hold of your hand while you were marching. And it was like oh. up you. Or while you're marching, they would kick the back, kick under, you know, as you lifted your foot up to go forward, someone would quickly, without losing their step, kick your, the bottom of the sole of your foot so your foot would go further forward than it should. Um, <laughs> stepping on the back of someone's boiler boot, so they'd be marching, and next thing they'd be dragging their foot down the road, and yeah, you get trouble. You'd have to do remedial marching and shit. Yeah, after work if you got caught messing around, man. But just, but yeah, they tried it. But I, I, I got kicked by someone, and I called her a c word oh. after she after she caught me. That mind you, I was this chick wasn't innocent. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> and I got reported, and I got. I had to go to the PO in the recruit school, but he basically ghosted me. Um, not allowed to swear, something, blah, blah, and literally said, like, blah, 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 I've told you off, no, get out. Because <laughs> he didn't give a shit, man, because he was old school, like, what the hell? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty funny, man. So, Good stories. you see, you're right. in Sydney for two and a half years. Will you yeah. finish up there? Whereabouts do you head from there? For, is this the final sort of spot that you're going? No, I stayed there, man. So then, like, I guess the problems that I started where I had issues was because um, I would just answer what you asked, man. I won't go into a lot of stuff, but like I said, just cut me off before I go on. But I, like I said, was I wanted to get into submarines, man. That was what I joined up for. And then as I had been in, after I'd been in Sydney for probably maybe a year, roughly, I found out that the, there was a massive waiting list for the new, for submarine, for submariners, because what, Obviously, when I joined, it was just the luck of the jaw, dude. Right. I, I I joined up and they had the Oberons and they were going over to the Collins class. So, obviously, all the old crew would get preference transferring over like they should to the new submarines. Right. But most of them had to get retrained. So, everyone that went on to the new Collins class, you need to get taught from scratch about the submarine. Or if you were off that old submarine, the Oberon, going to a Collins class, you had to learn what you know some extra stuff. So the waiting list for it was massive, man. So at that point, I was not getting on submarines for years, man. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I was so disappointed. You yeah. know, I mean, that was the first. That was the first kick in the gut. Um, after, yeah, after probably about a year and a half in Sydney, um, I was asked by the engineering. To like department or the engineering officer if I wanted to do an advanced training course, the ASTC. So that's what it's called, ASTC. So I spent six months at Sydney Institute of Technology doing some uh, doing temperature and gauge measurement. So um, I didn't know at the time, dude, but that basically got me stuck in gauge cow for my career. Okay. So as well as someone writing a pretty shitty comment on my personnel file that stopped me going to see. Yeah, but we so can get, we can get into yeah, that whenever we, you'd like. Yeah, you can go into that now, mate. So um, obviously <laughs> you're, you're looking forward to getting out into the world and and travelling and whatnot. How many? Yeah. So do you do you sort of put in to go out, or you're just sort of waiting for a placement on a boat somewhere? I put in. I put in a posting. Um, postings used to come up not often, often, but fairly often enough that like if one popped up, you'd apply, and then it would go away if you didn't get it, and you'd just go back to your job. Another one would pop up, man. Like it was. Not, it wasn't. It was mainly ships. It was mainly ships that would need crew that would ask bases, other than people getting allocated to a ship because obviously they always mainly have enough people for that ship. 
so they might rotate people on and off and that. But um, I asked to go to HMAC Success because they had a posting on there for a marine tech, and a few of us applied for that, and I didn't get that. I didn't get onto that one. Um, I applied for um, the weirdest one was a posting came up for HMAS Bandicoot. Now that was a, that's a patrol boat out of that was a patrol boat out of the Northern Territory. All right, at the top end, I think it is. If I got that wrong, it's all right. I'm not Australian, but um, yeah, but um, that's a good. That's an that is a, a hen's teeth posting man. Uh, patrol boat is like really small crew. You know, you get remote locality because you're patrolling around. So it's like basically like sea patrol. And um, I put in for that. I was the only person up until a few days before it closed that put in for it. And then another bloke I knew put in for it after he spoke to his wife. You know, because they'd have to move up there. To Northern Territory and that, and um, yeah, that come down to a towing cost, dude. Which, which when I spoke to the DBA, they basically called me a liar, and I said to them that nah. they basically said to me, um, yeah, heads or tails, like this hour, we're going to pick who goes on the patrol boat, and they flipped the coin, and I picked the wrong one. Oh, that's why I don't gamble, uh... dude. But yeah, hey, that, hey, do you know what? That's fair. I don't have a problem with that, man. I'm just, I was more upset they said that didn't happen, and I was like, yeah, I lost the patrol. Yeah, it was heads or tails. That was it. You know, I wasn't like, I was the first one here. I should get it. You know, yeah. it wasn't that way. You know, I never looked at it that way. So I was more annoyed that they didn't believe that that, that happened. You know, yeah. when I told them about the, the, it's not the Navy things that happen aren't what you're thinking. Because when you talk to the DBA, a lot of people aren't service, ex-service. They have no idea about what happens in the defense force. Yeah. So you're trying to explain to them it's not what you think. You know, to see the Navy on TV is a lot different to being in it, I'll tell you right now. You know, like, you know, like you're not going to see the culture and the types of things that go on on the TV, you know, like. No, that's right. So, yeah, so. um. So you try and try to get out yeah, to sea so, and you, and you, you so, never yeah, end so up that getting was out ba- there. So, so, that was bad, so that was Bandicoot. And then the mm. last one that caused a lot of problems that was near when I was getting out was I got um, offered a – I actually got offered a posting on uh, – I think it was H- HMAS Manure, right? Mm. And that was – I think it was at New, down at Newcastle. Um, I had a partner in Adelaide at the time that I'd met in Sydney. And um, I'd been given a few weeks basically to pack and that's where I was going to get posted to. Um, my partner quit her job at a law firm in Port Adelaide, um, and then they canned my posting. Oh. And and I, and you know, and this is the thing you have to understand: you're not allowed to ask things, man. You can't demand they tell you stuff. When you're in the defence force, if something goes wrong, like a posting's cancelled, you don't get the right to go and ask someone why did I not get posted there. You're not allowed to do that, man. Like, wow. you know what I mean? I know that because I wasn't allowed to ask, man. I actually got told that. They don't have to give me a reason, otherwise I would actually known at the time. So yeah, yeah I'm not making that up. So um, so yeah, like you know, luckily she got a job back there, but that caused a massive rip, man. And like I said, that was towards where I was getting out. And when we got out, man, like that was a major part of why we split up. So you know, like it was a big mess, like in the end, man. But like I said, I still love what I did in there. So it's just the posting, not never going to see. Like I said, the manure posting cancelling was the camel's back. You know the yeah, sure that broke the camel's back kind of thing for me, man, because I realised like that nothing they promised me. I fulfilled everything. Like someone else that has gone through this will understand, man, why this hurt so much as 
for me personally, right, and this is what I've got to get over now with my counselling and stuff, right, is I promised everything I promised the Defence Force when I joined, I fulfilled that, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen a couple of times where, I mean, you know, you get called a veteran, it's like, cool, man, all right? It's nice being a veteran and that, but I personally don't look at myself as that because I didn't serve long enough. That's how I look at it. I wasn't eligible for an Australian Service Medal because I was, I think, five months short, okay. right? But it doesn't matter to me, man, because I know the fact that I was in there, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you know, that sort of stuff and that. But, um, yeah, sorry, man, I'll forget again. No, like, that's all right. No, like, it's uh, – we're, we're... – were you talking about that metal and stuff like that? You know, uh, I think I've heard a lot of veterans on on different platforms say that they don't do it for the medals. But nah, you know, nah. it's it's nice to have that bit of recognition as well, though. I I, I would assume, like um, that's a nice you know, part. You man. Put that's your... the humbling part of people. That's the humbling part of people, man. When you like, you see it. You know, you, you know what? It used to be a huge thing in Australia, man. Like the US has always kind of been like it, where they've been very patriotic towards the ex-service people. You know, of all Let, their service. Let's say after but, Vietnam, because yeah, mate, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that one. Yeah, because after Vietnam, because they were spitting on people. Yeah, that probably not. Yeah, yeah let's forget about that bit. So after Vietnam, yeah, yeah, the recognition. So like over here, man. Like when 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 I when I was in that I say when I was in because that's obviously the time I was in it, you know it, it was a lot different to now but um you know you got an Anzac day in uniform man when you had to do like I was in the tri service guard so you used to do like all the the you know the displays you see in Melbourne walking down the main street with all the um styres and stuff man and when you'd finish man you'd go to a pub and you'd never buy a beer yeah. you know, I didn't drink man you know what I mean but you know I'd I'd say oh thanks you know they'd get you a coke or something but You'd never buy a beer, man. People were so humbled, man. You know, you'd wear your uniform to the airport and you'd get upgraded on your flights home from Sydney and shit. It was like, I was never the arrogant person. Look at me. I mean, I was a sailor dude, you know what I mean? But I love the fact that people held you in such high regard. Yep. You know, I've seen it it again. I've seen it again. When I used to work at Holden's, you know, I was like, yeah, Holden's, you know, just making Holden cars in the Adelaide, right? You know, it was nothing much to me. But the, the people, if you wore your jumper out from work, say I stopped off at the shops and went home, people were in awe of you, dude. Wow. And I was like, what? Build hold, build corridors, mate. <laughs> I'm not serious. Like, <laughs> you know, see what I'm talking about? Like, I, I don't understand it. It's, it's flattering. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't need it, but it's still nice. That it's still nice, that yeah. Yeah. And when I was getting out, man, it got to the point where when I joined, you know, you'd wear your uniform to the airport and people would look at you like, you know, wow. Because I guess they don't see that very often when you're in your ceremonial stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it got to the point where, as I, when I was getting out, probably the last maybe year or two, where we had a lot of problems, man, with the terrorism starting, you know, with the 2000 Olympics, that was a, a big thing with, you know, them wanting to not have it affected by terrorism at that point. Yeah. And we were told not to wear our uniforms at home because people were actually, that was, like, you know, you think how long ago that is and what it's like now with, Terrorism singling out like soldiers in the UK and people that's that right. are service people. Like, that's how much society changed in a couple of years when I was in. From being able to wear your uniform home to be, you know, in that tiny period I was in, like not even four years, to being told, you, you know, you wear that home to don't wear that home because people were going to attack you and shit, man. And I was yeah. like, man, that is unreal. Yeah, you know, you'd go it didn't out take and long. that day. No, dude, you got Anzac Day, man, and people would. It was like what you were talking about Vietnam. People would look at you with this stain in their eyes, like look at you. Yeah. Instead of the country, you're built. 
Like yeah. a cop. Like how people think of cops. I don't think that. The only time I've ever been in trouble with police is when I've done something wrong. That's right. So I don't do Oh, but that's a whole different podcast, wrong. brother. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I've been targeted by police, man, but they've always been reasonable. So I don't get to talk shit about them, you yeah. know. But some people just don't like them because other people don't, and I'm not that way inclined, mate. So no, yeah, I'd, I'd rather form my own opinions, mate. Everyone I started jobs, if someone went that bloke's a wanker, I'm like, cool, I'll take that on board, but I'd rather find out for myself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I don't like biased opinions, kind of like you know. You know, like yeah. with things like that, I like to see my own eyes. You know, they just might not like them because different football team or some stupid shit like that. You know, that doesn't bother me. So, you know, they might be a decent bloke. So, yeah. So, we'll just move on to um, how you found out why you didn't get deployed. Oh, yeah. So, um, I've, I, the DVA, well, I'm not going to see him bag things out, man. If something does a good thing, like, here you go, I'll give you an example, right, and you can talk about this later, right, but the Red 6 app that we've talked about, yep, that's helpful. I've talked to the dude that, Mick is the one that started it, isn't he? Yeah, Michael, yeah. I've I spoken to him, man. He couldn't be more helpful, you know, explanatory with things and that, man. Like, we had a good talk and that, man. The DVA says they help ex-service people, right, and they... The paperwork involved, mate, of bouncing to different departments and stuff, man. The time that's involved with people that don't have it, you know what I mean? The suicide with ex-veterans and that. you got these people like DVA going, why are so many ex-veterans committing suicide, right? And it's like it's like trampling your own, like, tomatoes and asking where your tomatoes are gone. You yeah. know, like, in that kind of right way, man. It's like, dude, you just stood on them. That's the DVA, man. That was, I mean, that was a nice kind of way I put it of, like, what they're like. Okay. They just, well, they cause all these issues with um, paperwork, but, well, like, how, why are people, like, not getting help from killing themselves? It's like, man, how, how frustrating is that, dude? Yeah. And especially for someone that, has, that isn't looking at it from the outside, for someone that's trying to get into it. Yeah. So, I'll give you an example, man. Like I said to you, I'm pretty happy to tell you and your listeners like stuff that's really honest. I I've spent a few years trying to get through the DVA, right? Um, to answer your question about how I found out about why I didn't get employed, I had to get hold of my personal medical files, right, from Defence Archives in Canberra. I initially went to the DVA. That was one of the first things that we applied for. Um. After about six or seven months, man, I hadn't had, I didn't get, hadn't had them. Um, I, in the meantime, I'd gone over to the RSL. Uh, I won't tell you which one. It was one of the main ones in Adelaide, and spoke to someone that was supposed to be one of my advocates, right? And at the end of what we talked about, I looked at him in the eye, man, and which even takes my partner, to put, you know, a bit surprised, but because of the military training and my the way I am with trusting, I just looked at the dude in the eye and I said to him, I don't trust you. So let, let me, like, earn my trust, you know, let me, you know, I'll, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, mate? Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. man. Yeah, Stuttering. But, yeah, I, didn't, I don't, didn't trust people in there, man. So And he did end up letting me down, man. So I got to the point where I gave up again and got worse with my depression and that, man, because I was like, I asked for help and nothing happened. Yep. You know, like that sort of thing. So I just became all miserable and... You know, stuff again, man. I mean, up until things got good, not long after I started talking to you, mate. You know, like with some of the things that we've talked about that's helped me out with, you know, you ringing me up and asking for my right and that, man. Like, cheers, buddy. 
Like, that's, look, that's, that's all good, man. Yeah. Like, so, but the DBA, man, that's what I mean. You can do that, but the DBA had a, an issue. So to get into the psychiatrist that I'm seeing now in Jamie Larkin Centre, I end up con- con- contacting um, our state um, health minister, Stephen Wade, right, and lodging a formal complaint. I mean, they're there for a reason. You know, um, if you're listening, politicians are a waste of whatever. <laughs> But they're there. <laughs> That's a they whole different there. podcast. They are there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they are there, people, and they exist. So use them because the times that I've gone nuts, politicians and that man, but the times I've asked for help, they've helped me. So I mean, like, I'm not stuck on the fence here with politicians being useless and being not useless. Yeah, right. So, but That's you know, when I had, well, I've been lucky, man. I mean, like you know, like I said, there's a lot of topics that are for other days to talk about with other people and that, but. Like when I had issues with child support, I contacted my local uh, federal MP, and they were more than helpful with that dude dealing with child support because they would have the, the, the amount of time they cut off dealing with them because they took it more seriously. Mm. Um, when I had issues with um, getting an assessment at Sendlink, I went through. Um, I think I went through one of the senators. I think for that. And they got me an assessment, man, within like a couple of days that have been taking me like weeks to do. Yep. So, you know, I mean, they're there to help. So, like I said, I rang up and spoke to the bloke. They put me in contact with the head of the DVA Advocates in SA. And within probably a week or not even two weeks of me contacting my local health minister, um, they had them contact me and had me booked into the Jamie Larkin Centre, man. So, so like, just awesome. be persistent. Until they listen to ex-veterans and that, until they fix this stupid GVA shit and become a bit more user-friendly for the us veterans and people that currently serve, you've got to be patient, man, and keep going, man. I don't give up, man, all right? Do you think that the mess. DVA has a resource problem that they just don't have the resources to they do? They have so resources, dude. Every single fucking department, man, like you know, man, this is where I get a bit heated, right? Because well, I live in Adelaide, so I can tell you right now from the horse's mouth that our mental health system in this city is a fucking mess. Yeah, right? I think it's a mess. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, have a look how much problems I've had in Adelaide, man, with aged care and what's been going on lately. Right. Senate inquiries into them beating up old people and crap, man. Wow. You know, that's, they've got no time. When I was ringing up to get into the DVA centre, I never got to talk to Stephen Wade. His receptionist sorted everything out, all right? And it wasn't until I got into my appointment that I realised why I never talked to him properly. Because that was at the time where they were going through all these problems with all the health department right. falling apart. Cause, and this is only recently. The nurses and the doctors here had gone out on strike because of the ramping, the ambulances. Yep. And I was like, this is that's, does that, that shows you what a mess they're in. But they're more interested, dude, in doing up sports stadiums. And I'm like, that's awesome. But <laughs> you need to have priorities. And you know what? Football is not one of them, unfortunately, man. No, People's mental right. health. You know, you get a Crows player or a Port LA player going, oh, you got these mental people running around. It's like, yeah, because while you're sitting in that seat at the football, all happy and stuff, man, yeah. that's the in money they use box. to do that up. Yeah, that's the money they use out of our coppers instead of putting it towards the person that you're looking at running around worried because they're having a breakdown in the middle of the street. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the health system, mate. And like I said to you, any government department, man, until they sort out what they're doing with government, most government departments, man, are underfunded when it comes to health. Even autism, 
Yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going through that at the moment, man, just to add on. You know, right. okay. I'm about, about, about to wait like about 13 months to get an autism test, dude, like oh, 41 wow. years old. And that purely because what they've told me, it's the autism essay, there's, they've got literally hardly any budget. Wow. So it's a shame it comes down to that, man. But you know, Ellis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're a man of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know everything, but I like to think I do. <laughs> All right, so you get your medical records and you go through it and you get your, your case file, your personal files, and yeah. what what do you find yeah. out of that? Yeah, so so after I applied myself, the, the medical files, because like oh, that's what I segued off before, sorry, dude, and um, – I got. I applied directly to Defence Archives and Camera. They sent my files out within a couple of weeks. Um, I went through them, and um, there was a comment on there. And a couple of years ago, my dad had told me that the reason I wouldn't have gone to see is probably might have been because someone put a comment in my file. And he told me a story about what happened with him, where he was hit by a car on leaving Singapore by a drunk driver, and which ended his submarine career. And wow. ended up in in doing admin before he got out of the Royal Navy in the UK. Um, <clears throat> he had been doing admin work, and he said there was a bloke that had um, he was moving files. He'd been asked to get a file for a bloke that had got in trouble for something. And in the file, one of his commanding officers had written, um, "Only works when cornered like a rat." Oh wow. <laughs> Well, you know, that's on his personal file, man. So Dad said to me, like, someone's put something in your file. So I never knew. I got my personal record, and, yeah, someone has wrote, like, a fucking devastating comment. Insubordinate, doesn't listen, immature. The problem they've got now where they're looking at compensation with me in the Navy for what they did with, like, things I haven't gone into with you today is um, there's four comments on there. The one that was written, because I to- before I'd even got my personal file, I, I told them who would have written it because I didn't get along with them, the chief petty officer. They didn't like me because I didn't drink at that point. You know, there was I was a bit odd. You right. know, I wasn't social. Okay. Not because I – that was because of my problems, dude, with my mental – my autism, ADHD, you know what I mean? Not because I was doing it on purpose, what he didn't realise. Mm. So he was like, he's antisocial. I don't like him. So when he did my first review – he just wrote this scathing comment on there, man. I'll tell you right now, there is no way they would read that when you're getting posted to sea and want someone like that on their ship because they don't want someone that won't listen on, you know, middle of fucking sea, you know. But there's another three comments that completely contradict his. Yep. And um, when I got out, there's uh, certain people that have to sign off on your papers. Uh, there's about four or five signatures on there from different departments. Like um, one of the things that was an issue now with, like I said, the compensation of what was going on in there, of why I got out, um, was um, one of the people that signed off, one of the officers that signed off on my discharge papers, actually went out of his way, man, to write on my discharge sheet. Um, I feel this could have all been avoided if this sailor had been sent to sea. So that kind of has helped me out massively, man, because everything I've told them, they called me I was a liar. Right, because they didn't want to believe it, because they don't want to look like they're, in, they're, they're doing it wrong, or they, they they don't want to look in a bad light. I've not lied about, and now they've found out. So that's like where, like I said to you, man, like this is a 
huge thing now, man. What trying to sort it out with the All DBA and the Navy. One person. Yep, yep, yep. So, so yeah, like I said, man. Like, I mean, I was just, I, I was just devastated, man, because like you know, I expected them to not, I guess, fulfill everything they told me they'd do, but at least some of it, you know. And um, you know, like I said, you know, for any ex-veterans that are, are listening, man. It was so easy for me to go downhill when I got out because they do, they try to get in transitioning now because, like, it is such a different environment, man. So you're getting out. Um, what was your transition like back into civilian world? Oh, yeah, the, tra- the transition. Yeah, I didn't have one, man. So I basically, I, um, do, do, you want, do, you want to talk, do you want me to talk about the, how I got, how, why I got out? If you're comfortable so, talking so, about it, then that's fine. I, I, just, I just don't want to take up heaps of your time, man. No, I, I, I don't, I, that's I don't the power of the editing. Of the <laughs> that's the, I, if, I, if, if I don't tell the story about how I got out, like it would be like I left and then just ended up in this mess in Tibby land. Yeah, no, <laughs> go for it, man. There was, a, there was a reason for it. So I'll try and keep this short, man, honestly, because eh, I know I rabbit on, man, and I apologize to your listeners, Matt. Hopefully, No, that's okay. I can, I can edit things. a lot of stuff out, dude, so yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Part of my anxiety, dude, just so even you know, even if you don't edit out, man, is I grab it on, man, like it's like a panic kind of thing, man. So I talk, but I'm like panic while I'm doing it. Yep. So sorry about that. So, That's but good. yeah, how I got out, how I got out was, um, as I told you, like in the beginning, when you, um, when you start, when you finish recruits, when you finish your category school training, once you finish your, 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 your category training of what you want to be, electronic technician, marine technician, whatever. There's an, like I said, there was an interim period where you wait around for a few weeks or a few months before they post you out to the base, to wherever base you're going. So you basically just sit around, man. Most people just go out on the piss and, you know, stuff like that, man. So like I said, I, I, I didn't drink or really drank in the Navy. So I decided that since I finished my marine engineering kind of certificate, that I would pay myself and do a mechanical engineering like degree through a college like um in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So um I picked one I could do through correspondence. When I got sent to Sydney I could still do it. So yeah, that was what I did. So I started to do that. I got posted to Sydney. I they sent me my books out in the post that I had to do, like my assignments and that and then I posted them back. They gave me my marks, blah blah blah. Um and I paid for that. At that point when I got out, um I paid Two and I'd not. I was not long off finishing it. I'd finished. I'd paid two and a half grand out of my own pocket into it. Yeah. Wow. Um, I could not. Some of the work in the books, I had to work somewhere. Like you know, it's like a placement. If you're doing a, if you're doing like an electronic, if you want to learn about electronics, uh, electric. Yeah, what's the word? If you want to be an electrician. Yeah. If you want to be an electrician, man. You need to do an apprenticeship with an electrician. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of like what this stuff was like. So. I asked the Navy, I like, asked my boss if I could do some of the books during work, and he said no, and I understood that, man, because it's like a proper job, not like I'm going to, you know, like a training place. Yeah. So I had to find another way to do those books, like work somewhere and be able to do those books because some of the theory involves some practical parts of, like, you know, engines. You know, mechanical engineering is slightly different to marine engineering because obviously one's a marine one's for, yep. like, kind of land-based stuff. So, um, so yeah, I rung up about seven garages. Most of them were like, um, 
nah, not liable, can't be liable, don't have insurance, nah, nah, nah. One place in Bondi said yes. So STO Automotive. And the bloke took me on there and um, he basically, yeah, we got along from the get-go. All up, I was there for a year and a half. So the two, about the two and a half years I was in Sydney, I worked at um, STO Automotive in Bondi for um, about a year and a half. So, wow. and I never had a, I never had a car. One of the things that I always look back on now as an older person, man, and think, man, where'd you get the energy from? Was I never had a car in in Sydney. I drove my car back home when I left Melbourne, and then flew to Sydney from there because I wasn't going to drive around Sydney because it was so bad with traffic. I knew that. So I never had a car when I was in Sydney. So I, I had an old BMX. I was never into mountain bikes. I'm more of a child, Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Harder to do wheelies on a bit on a mountain bike. Yeah. No. So I bought a. I had a mountain bike that I had. I got. I custom made myself. Man, I used to ride that 20k round trip on a Saturday to uh, Bondi from South Coogee, man. And um, yeah, like that was pretty. That was. I look back now and think I, could, I couldn't do that now, dude. Nah. I'd, I'd have a heart attack right <laughs> at the door. So like, but. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 how that's how um what's the word? You know, I wanted how much I wanted to get stuff done and you know get ahead in life. You know yep. what I mean? So how, you, you know, you're passionate about your career. Yeah, oh, dude, yeah, yeah, and I and I always thought that I wanted to do the mechanical engineering degree myself, but I always thought, man, the neighbours got to look at this as a benefit. Yeah, you know, having two two qualifications that they only paid for one. So you know what I mean? So I. Worked there, like I said, man. Like I was very like into it and stuff like that, man. And um, so every morning, not you know, every Saturday, you know, most of my mates would go out and piss on Friday night, dude. You know, I would go to bed early because I had to get up at like six o'clock to go down and have breakfast in the little cafeteria, the apartment thing, and then I would ride my bike down to get to work by like kind of eight o'clock, and then I finished about two on a Saturday. So yeah, I did that for a year and a half, man, and I never got paid. Part of the agreement I had, and I guess like if pe- people that know me would understand that I'm a very person that's I can move my morals, but I'm usually set in my principles and morals. You know what I mean? You yep. can move them, obviously, but most of the time, I'm that's how it is. When I made an agreement with Steve, the bloke that owned the garage, I said to him, it was a, a trade. Well, I love the old school bartering, the prepping stuff, like trading and crap like that, man. Like, I like that mother other buying stuff. Yep. I said to him, you help me, I help you. You teach me this stuff that I don't know in the books and that <coughs> I'll fix your cars and stuff that I do know. There's no money to be involved, man. He knew that. Yep. He would try and hide like money in my overalls. I'd give it back to him, man. <laughs> he, he like boy. most people, man. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. But I would give it back to him under the principle and he, he took him a long time to understand why I wouldn't take it. To him, it was – this is the initial part. You don't take the money, that's because you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right. I'd laugh about it, you know. I just, it was, you know, I didn't take that seriously, man. You know, but he got to the point where he understood the principle. It's not that's not the agreement we made. And if someone else rang up in a few years, like me, asking hypothetically to ring up, get a job in that garage there, he would have more chance of getting it there with Steve because he's already had me there, not taking money off him and yeah. you know, kind of backpedaling what I said. You know, oh, I want some money this week, you know, for this. So I had a full time job, mate, in the navy. So, like yeah. I said, I worked Monday to Friday except when I had duties on the weekend. So, I didn't need the money. So, what got me in trouble was I, a year and a half there, right? I had never been in trouble in the Navy other than the time I got told off for swearing at that girl in recruit school. 
<coughs> I'd been in the Navy soccer team, um, the tri-service guard. Um, I had my discipline record was exemplary, man. That's how they would have classed it. And then I got pulled into one morning. I come into work. I got pulled into the police coxswain's office at FEMA. So I got up to his office and that. And he had a go at me about my hair because I had like streaks in my hair. Like, yeah, I had short hair, but little streaks. You know, they put that little cap on your head because, you know, that's, you know, how you going, mate? How you going, how you going sailor? Yeah. Right? Anyway, <laughs> I was young, mate. You know, that, you know, back in the rumors are true. Backstreet Boys, <laughs> Boys and NSYNC days, you know, where people used to pin their highlights. Like, that was so uh, yeah. Apparently. All right. So, <laughs> apparently. anyway, I was. I was Oh, dude, I have to make excuses. I was in the Navy. That's all I have to say. I always had a rat's tail. I mean, come so, on. Oh, yeah, but they're still cool to me. And my oh, <laughs> So, yeah. But anyway. This podcast is going, over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's over. It's done, mate. So, but he had a, a cracker about my hair, all right? So, and I said to him, look, you're not allowed to be, dude, you're not allowed to be mouthy, man, to senior people. Like, I know that. But it gets to a point, like I said to you, where I stand up. I'll stand up for myself, mate. I don't give a fuck what job I'm doing. I've, I've lost a few jobs because I've stood up for myself. I don't have a problem. I will never bully someone. I'll never expect someone to bully me either. Yeah, you know what I mean? Definitely. And I don't like say, and I won't watch other people being bullied, man. Like that's not gonna happen. So, and I've been lucky where I've been in many jobs in the last few years. Other than now, like, where I've been in management, where I get to call the shot, so no one bullies no one. You know what I mean? So, but um. What was I yakking on about, dude, again? How you got in trouble? Yeah, so I, you're not allowed to talk back. And I basically was like, you know, my warrant officer, an engineer warrant officer, sees me every day. He didn't have an issue with it, so why would they? You know what I mean? And he basically told me, you want your your hair needs to be back to normal, like how, like to back to the standards that they set by this time tomorrow, or you'll get charged like with disobeying a direct order kind of thing. Right. So I was kind of pissed off about that, man. <clears throat> More because it cost me seventy bucks to get it done, right? Oh. So, sure, you know, navy wage is not what you think, dude. Has forty-four grand a year. Oh, it's probably higher now, but when I was in, it was forty-four grand a year. They get you to sign up for six years because if you sign up for two and did your engineering shit, most people would leave and get a job outside for an engineering firm that paid them a hundred grand. Yeah. So they're not stupid. Six-year contract, dude. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. So anyway, it was a yak on about the fucking um the haircut. Yeah, so the, it went on from the haircut to um I I, I kind of lost my shit, man, because the dude was really rude and like you know like aggressive towards me and that. And I basically told him at that point, "Fuck the navy, I'm fucking leaving." <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'd have enough dude at that point. Yeah, so that's exactly that was the exact words I used. Fuck the navy, I'm fucking leaving. <laughs> so he he stood up the police coxswain and said, "You need to come and go in here." So I got marched into uh, the OIC of FEMA's office, the officer in charge, like a, a lieutenant commander. Yeah, and um, he basically at that point. Well, I kind of felt like I'd been set up, man, because they sort of knew who I was and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have my uniform on at that point. I was in the city, so they didn't have, I didn't have my name tag on. But the lieutenant commander knew who I was without him introducing me. I'm like, that's funny, hey. So I was already, I'm not stupid, mate. You know what I mean? I'm like, like they always treat 
I always got treated like that in the, in the Navy, which is one of my big issues that I had, man. Like, my results don't show that how I was treated. So I'm not being petty or any, for any of your listeners. Yeah. You know, I was, treated, I was treated like an idiot, man, other than to what I found out a lot later after I left. So um, I basically got ripped over the raked, raked over the coals, man, about working at the garage. Someone had dobbed me in. I don't know why. I have no idea. You know, what I did didn't hurt anyone. I never got paid. Um, everything in the Navy you have to request. Um, I'm not sure about this. Obviously, maybe the other forces are the same, but if you want to go on a holiday in the in the in the navy, man, you need to tell them where you're going, for how long, when you're coming back. So if I was going on leave for Adelaide, I have to tell them everything where yep. I'm going, right? Because they need to know where you are, which is fair enough, man. But that's the type of thing you sign up for. So you you never have you will never have any privacy. If you want privacy, don't join the defence force. Yep. Especially the navy, because if you're sharing with twenty blokes in the community, share you definitely don't have any fucking privacy. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah, if you're shy, you're certainly not to be shy, buddy. I was shy. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, had to lose that. had to lose that persona pretty quick, dude. I can tell you right now. <laughs> All right? So, but anyway, he they basically interrogated me, dude, man. And I they literally called me a liar. I They just wanted to know if I got paid, mate. That's all they cared about, if I got paid. And they were going to screw me for it. And I never got paid. And at no t- time did they ring up the garage and ask Steve, which he would have told them no, and, oh, been, and wow. that was honest. They never investigated anything, dude. Like I said, I had a bit of a breakdown in the in the office, man. And like, uh, so they said they went over the garage stuff, man, and must have asked me about five times, man. So it didn't matter how many times I said I didn't get paid, they didn't believe me, right? Um, yeah. Then the police cops said, "Tell the lieutenant commander what you told me out there," and I said about the. I'm, I, I fucked the Navy, I'm fucking leaving. So because of that, to screw me, I got two charges of insubordinate behaviour for swearing in front of an officer. So um, I had to go to like, I don't know what you call it, man, a tribunal, a court-martial a hearing, whatever it is, man. I had to have a fucking character witness and everything, man, like, which was my petty officer, my engineering petty officer was a bit annoyed that they'd done that. So yeah. he decided to be my, my, engine, my character reference. I went in, man, I was looking at um, eight-week stoppage of leave, which for your listeners that don't know is um, where, like you see on those movies, where you go peel carrots and mop floors in, like, the kitchens. Yep. That's what I basically had to was, had to have done for eight weeks. And it's you finish work at 3.30 and you go straight to the galley and start cleaning up till about 6.30 at night. And then you can go home, stay on base, whatever. That's concurrent every day. For however long you get given it, you have to do that for. Um, yeah, wow. Well. So, yeah, so, I was, so for two charges of insubordinate behaviour for swearing in front of an officer, I was looking at eight weeks stoppage of leave, and I think it was about $800 fine taken out of my pay. <clears throat> so, I ended up going in there. I was lucky, dude. Like, I've had a very coincidental life with weird shit. So, I'm not going to go into that. That is another podcast, right? About weird <laughs> shit. Because people would think I'm crazy. But one of the people, the one of the people that was kind of like the prosecutor that was in there was a young police coxswain, right? Now, this is bizarre, right? Like, a few months before this has all happened, right, I'd gone down for breakfast on a Saturday, took my bike down, put it inside the cafeteria, gone in, grabbed some, like, eggs and, you know, blah, blah. Sat down, there was no one really else in there. There was no one else in there, just me, because it was so early. So I sat down, had breakfast. This girl came through that was on duty there that had a unit that was dressed in a, a uniform. I think she was the leading hand. 
And I didn't really take much notice, but she came and sat down because, you know, I used to have a chat because there's no one else in there. So she was asking why I was up so early and, you know, about riding my bike. And I told her I worked at the garage and she said, you know, we talked about the money thing was brought up because, you know, most times people would say that, you know, you do this job to get me extra cash, you know. And I was like, told her why I did it, what I told you and your listeners. Yeah. That was the like, prosecutor dude. She actually spoke up during the fucking hearing and said, this, I know this is like kind of untoward, but I actually had a conversation with him and I don't think he was lying because he had no reason to because it's it was had a general not conversation in a general yeah, place. That turned it, yeah, that turned it around, man, because they realized that I probably didn't get paid. But at that point, still, no one had rung up that garage once, dude. Oh, ask. man. But I ended up getting a two, I ended up getting two weeks stoppage of leave. And I think it was a two hundred dollar fine, and they actually reprimanded the lieutenant, lieutenant commander a bit, man. But after that, man, I said to my warrant officer, "I have had a fucking enough, man. I want out." Yep. Uh, you just ruined me, man. Like all the stuff that you've done, like all the lies, like all the bullshit. I had a mate die, like oh, not a, a, a mate. I was up to shit at school, man. That when someone took me under their wing, man, I was so grateful. Yeah, you know, I held him in such a high regard. When I went through and did my training, there was an op- a bloke called uh, Sean Smith. He was a petty officer that trained at Cerberus and that, right? He took me for one of the courses, man, and he was really helpful, man. He kind of took me under his wing. So obviously I had a lot of respect for him, and I spent a lot of time chatting to him and that, man. He ended up, when I, I got posted out to Sydney a couple of years later, man, he ended up, him and four others, um, or four of them got killed on HMS for Australia in a, um, engine room fire, man, and oh. yeah, I'm not going to go into that with you, man, because that's a little no, bit. No, that's cool. That's like, whatever. That. But the but the navy lied the fuck out of that, man. And I'm not being nasty towards the navy because I'll tell you this right now. I love my job in the navy. If you want to join the navy, to see what it's like. You should go for it, man, because only you know what it's like and know if you like it or not. But me, I love the navy. I hated the politics, man, and I hated all the bullshit of them lying and covering stuff up so they didn't look bad. That's what I took offence at because they didn't bring us up in the defence force to lie. We were supposed to be honest, honest and ethical and loyal. And that all the things they taught us, man, a lot of those people, just like politician Ellis, they don't follow those things. They set them for us, not for them to follow. And, that, and I took I took offence to that, mate. So okay. I remember. So yeah, like yeah. No, that's fine. Right. You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> well, I remember in a, I remember in a reader, my mum years ago, man, always gives me weird shit, and she gave me this Reader's Digest book to look at because she thought there'd be an interesting article, and the article was in there was not interesting, but there was something else in there about CEOs, and it was interviews and CEOs of big companies in America. I remember one of the comments from the CEOs was that they were talking about this, and one of the comments um, from one of the CEOs was... Um, um, like workplace, what do they call them? Like when they, you know, they set up the policies. What are they called? You know, like honesty, ethics, you know, loyalty. He, he said those those aren't for managers to follow; those are for the workers. Oh wow! You know that, and that, and like when you hear it from like someone that's like in a position like that, you kind of understand, like you said about people drawing the line. Yep. You know, like management and like workers and who draws the line. It's not the workers, mate. Hear that right now. No. I got nothing. I was a manager, dude. Like I said, I had nothing against officers. There were good officers, bad officers. Same thing in the Navy, man. With non-commissioned, there were dickheads and nice people. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, like what we're talking about now. Why? So, yeah. Well, mate, thank you very much for 
putting your heart on your sleeve and uh, and yeah, just talking about your time and service, mate. It's uh, and like I said before, you you don't have to go into combat to be uh, to make a difference. You know, like uh, you had an important job to do, and you did it to the best of your abilities. And uh, unfortunately, things didn't turn out for you, but. we still, oh, I still thank you yeah. for what for what dep- you did. You know what, man? It, it depends. It depends, dude, on how people sign up, man. It's it's like I, I don't know, man. I try and relay things so people maybe can understand me a bit better. But it's like bungee jumping, man. Some people do it because it's fun. Some people do it because it scares the shit out of them. Yep. You know what I mean? You know that's kind of the same thing, like um, with what you were just talking about. Sorry, mate. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. Um. Kai, thank you very much for being on the podcast and uh, I wish you all the best in the future. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for your time and yeah, thanks to your listeners too and, um, yeah, to the, the Man Cave or 301. So pretty awesome site, dude. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. No workers. Cheers, man. No worries. See you later, mate. Hey, guys. I just wanted to thank Kai for his service and for also sharing his experience with us about his time and service so thank you kai uh ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening and i hope you see you on the next podcast don't forget to go over and check me out on facebook instagram youtube and patreon until next time goodbye